Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. During the season of giving, we'd like to offer you a little something special, and all we're asking in return is a few moments of your time. We need you to complete a short survey because your opinion matters to us and helps support the show. It'll only take a couple of minutes, and if you're one of the first people to do it, we'll give you a reward in return. Just go to podcast1.study, and everything will be right there for you. That's podcast1.study. The first 150 people to complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to Amazon.com. All of our shows are supported by advertisers, so filling this out will really help us. So please go to podcast1.study, and as always, thank you for supporting the show and happy holidays from all of us at podcast one five hour energy helps you get through your crazy on the go life and now it comes in two great tropical flavors strawberry banana and tropical burst they're delicious and can transport you to a tropical paradise try them both then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com you could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. Broadcasting from the Mercedes Man Cave, this is the Dan Patrick Show. Hour two on this Friday, a Traeger meet Friday at that. We got the Traeger grills all fired up. I don't know what we have today. What's, uh, like, it looks good. Is that a roast on there, Paulie? A huge roast, a little rosemary on top. I it's like it. old school. Kind of warm up the your cockles. Yeah. What are your cockles? Um, McLevin, do you know what your cockles are? Uh, no. Is that a real thing? Yeah. The body part? Haven't you ever heard that song, Cockles Alive, Alive-O? Do you remember that scene? A little, uh, like, I don't know, like spaces in your heart, like corners and little pockets of area that that would be my guess so the cockles of not like not my real heart but that you know just the innards oh yeah paulie according to the dictionary it's to cause a feeling of affectionate happiness the thought of his grandmother when was enough to warm the cockles of his heart like the interior of your heart i guess Mm. okay uh how did we get on the cockles oh we're warming our cockles we have a fire pit that uh, we got from uh, cabela I like going down there where you kind of go in and have your little uh, shopping spree, Bass Pro Shops. It was great. It was great seeing Fritzy in that uh, in that building. I was wheeling that wagon around. And, uh, and look at the shirt you got on I know. Today. I love it. Yeah. You look good. Yeah. Have you ever gone fishing, Fritzy? I went fishing one time. My dad took me when I was little. Maybe I was six, seven years old. And as soon as there was a bite and I felt the shaking of the rod in my hand, I threw it down and ran in the other direction in total <laughs> fright. Okay. Why all of a sudden something was making, some living creature in the water was making it move like that on, in my, on the rod and I just left. That was it. I always thought having a cane pole, I don't know if you guys ever fished with a cane pole. It was how I learned to fish. Is that like where you just drop it in? Pretty much. Yeah. But but it, it's a it's not a, a fishing rod and reel. Mm-hmm. It's just a cane pole. And then with, you just with a bobber and a hook. Yeah. And I remember that first time that bobber goes under and you're like, Oh I got one. Yeah. Fish on. Yeah. And then you bring in, bring <laughs> yeah. in a little bluegill bluegill there. But I remember I would go fishing every weekend. Bass, crappie, bluegill, uh, catfish. It, it was just uh, for a couple of years growing up, that's all I did, go fish all the time. And then I got bored because it was like too easy, and then that's when I started fly fishing a little bit there. And then all of a sudden that Brad Pitt movie came out, then everybody wanted to go fly fish. I went on my honeymoon, and my wife, we saw the, the, the fly fishing uh, gear where we were staying, and she goes, I'd like to try that. 
I don't know how many. I don't know if she ever got it in the water, but I know that it, she got it in the tree quite a few times. Where you're going? No, no, it's okay, honey. You know, we're just married. It's okay, honey. I'll, uh, I'll I'll tie another fly on the end of this. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll tie another. After around four or five of them, I go. You know, maybe we should try. Some, how about let's go biking? Yeah, Paul. I saw an article once about impactful movies, and they're talking about movies that actually have an impact on society. And they were saying movies like uh, A River Runs Through It and Rounders actually had impacts because people started playing uh, No Limit Hold'em after Rounders. It became a thing. Yeah. People learned how to play poker. Poker became bigger. World Series of Poker became more popular to watch. And those shows blew up after that. And if you look at River Runs Through It, they interviewed people from like Montana River Guides and said, we had 10 times the amount of people this uh, summer later after that movie came out wanting to fish. Well, the way they filmed it, they made it look like it was art. It was poetic. This was jazz. Like if Coltrane was a, a fisherman and it, he, he would have uh, cast his line like this, it's not that easy. And I've, I've been around people who get it caught in the trees all the time. But then you're around some guys who were really like John Barrett is one of the great fly fishermen in the world. And I went a couple of times on trips with him and we'll watch him fish. And then you realize there are guys who are really, really, really good at it. And he would see the fish. I didn't even see the fish. And he'd go, go right there. Right. I go, I don't see it. And then he'd go, all right, hold on. Doop, 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 zip. And then he bring in the, uh, the salmon. But if you're around somebody who knows how to do it, they make it look really, really easy. All right, uh, welcome to the program. As you can tell, already in progress, former Heisman winner Doug Flutie will join us coming up a little bit. We'll check in with the Dallas Cowboys. Big game this weekend. It's a bigger game for the Rams, but it's big for both. We'll talk to Tim Kalishaw from the Dallas Morning News and, of course, around the horn. Uh, No word yet on the Astros and the Patriots' punishment or investigations. I'm wondering if baseball is realizing... We may have a systemic problem here. This may not just be the Astros. But you do want to make an example, and it feels like there's going to be a pretty harsh. This might be the harshest. I'm trying to think of the harshest punishment a baseball team has, you know, has that's ever been handed down. Can you guys think of now the 1919 Black Sox? But... They're on an island. That's completely different because they were you know, accused of throwing the World Series. But can you think of a team in modern history and, and the punishment? Yeah, there's, lot, there's been lots of player punishments for different infractions, but overall team punishment. What happened with the Cardinals and the Astros? Remember, didn't the Astros hire somebody from the Cardinals? Oh, and they get broken in the computers? Yes. Yeah, I don't think anything that severe, did it? I, I don't even know what the punishment was. There was heavy punishment, but I don't, I'm don't. i not sure it's something that would have rose into our attention. Well, Tom Verducci said, you, you take away draft picks. You take away that capital, and that will really hurt a team. Finding them, well, you know, you got a billionaire running the team. That's not going to hurt them. Uh, does somebody get suspended in a situation like that? I still believe, and uh, from what I was told yesterday, that the Patriots, it may just be a fine, and that's it. Because from what I was told yesterday afternoon... The NFL's looked at everything. Like, they know what's on the tape. The question is, do they interview the videographer here? This poor guy who's, you know, probably getting $15 an hour for, from Kraft Productions to go in there and uh, videotape this. Was he told something different? Is it a 
little bit of an escape route for the Patriots that, hey, he's not even on our staff. He's freelance. Well, therefore, freelance, well, he wouldn't do it the Patriot way. That's what I was told yesterday. I said, well, I guess I could argue both both sides here and probably win if, if you were looking at do you come down hard on him or do you let him go and just say, look, you guys made a mistake. You of all people, if you're hiring somebody, there are things that you cannot do as an employee of the New England Patriots. Don't touch footballs. Don't spy on somebody. Give the impression you're spying. Know where you're supposed to be with your camera. Those kind of things. Uh, so I, I think they're going to get spanked by the commissioner, but I, I don't think it's going to be something that is going to come anywhere near what their other punishments have been. Yes, Paul. Is it ample? Like, is this similar to corking your bat? Like, Sammy Sosa got punished for corking his bat. He got seven games. But now, imagine if the if the Cubs had an entire organized plan of corking the entire lineup's bat. That's what this is. Oh, I think they should come down really hard on the Astros. Right. Like, really, really hard. I, I would suspend somebody. Um, you know, you can't take away the World Series, but I, I, I would really come down hard on the Astros. You take away draft picks, because... This helped them in games, but I do think that you have this video espionage here. You got you got spying going on here, I, I, and it's not just the Astros. The Red Sox did it with their Apple watches. Everybody's looking some kind of advantage here. But if you're going to do it that way, I just can't imagine it. Now, if you watch the video and you listen to the video, and then you're hearing somebody bang a garbage can inside a dugout. How that doesn't now we as fans probably, you know, think it's maybe, you know, where you're trying to start the chant, you know, like boom, 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 you know, or the PA is trying to get you all fired up here. But if you're a baseball player and you hear it, because you're accustomed to certain sounds, but if that's coming from the dugout, the locker room, the hallway of the Astros, that's where I would think you would go, ah, there's something going on there. And there was a pitcher they faced, and that pitcher said, hey, you know, there's a noise going on in there. So it sounds, it, and, it, and it appears to be obvious to us now, I'm just curious about those baseball players facing the Astros, and then all of a sudden you start to bang the drum slowly here. Yeah, Todd. Yeah, because the batters aren't wearing an earpiece where they're whispering something in the batter's ear like the way a quarterback communicates with the sideline. If the batter can hear it, then obviously certainly the pitcher in the infield can hear that same sound. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that it, it's such a foreign sound to a baseball player because there's certain things you will hear and you won't hear. And that would be the one where you go, wait, something's going on in there. And do I think that A.J. Hinch, the Astros manager, was aware of this? Yes, I do. I don't know how he couldn't be. Because the first thing that I would say, and I know I'm, I'm probably rare in this business, I apply logic sometimes. I would say, if I'm the manager, what is that noise? Go- hey, stop it back there. Right? If somebody's banging on a garbage can at one point, and the manager is always right there, so, you know, as the dugout leads into the hallway, into the locker room, he's usually positioned right there. He would be the one hearing it all the time. And that's where you would go and knock it off. Yeah, Todd. And what if that person then was to say to AJ Hinch in that moment, "Don't worry about it. We're just letting uh, the, we're just letting them know that it's a slider coming." And now, what if, now what does AJ Hinch do with that information? Stop it. That's cheating. Or oh, cool, good idea. I I would love to know if the commissioner got a chance to ask the front office or AJ Hinch, "Hey, what did you know? When did you know it? 
And did you just, you know, try to put an end to it? You know, and then I hear, you know, Tom Verducci, who I respect, great baseball writer, said, you know, that maybe they were only doing it for a three-week period. Okay, so are you telling me that it, it didn't work and that's why you stopped after three weeks? Or it did work and then you stopped it after three weeks? I don't think anybody's going to stop something after three weeks if it's working. And it seems like it was working there. I don't know if you go, you know, on second thought, man, I'm, I'm feeling guilty here. And I don't think anybody's doing that in sports, not professional sports, but that was that that's a little bit surprising there. And I, I think baseball, they're going to they're going to hammer the Astros and rightfully so. I don't think the Patriots are going to get hammered. You know, maybe you lose a draft pick. I just think it's going to be a fine. Maybe it's 50,000, 100,000 sort of a, hey, you put yourself in a bad position. We're going to punish you. And then we move on. Yeah, McLevin. Well, remember the New Orleans Saints Fans started a lawsuit against the NFL for robbing them of that. I mean, how do we know? And I don't want to. How do we know the Yankees fans aren't upset about what happened even this year? Like, there are a lot of fan bases could be like, you robbed us of a good chance. But these teams were, they were aware the Astros were cheating. So the Dodgers were aware, the Nationals were aware, and the Yankees were aware. So if they're aware, then you can't. Yeah, right. Not that you would sue anyway, but yeah. Someone also was tweeting us about SMU and the uh, what they do in college with the postseason bans. You could never have a postseason. Uh, ban you can't do it in death. pro sports. Yeah, you could never do a that. Right? Death penalty. Yes, Todd. Now, when Rob Manfred announces the uh, punishment to the Astros, should he hit like a garbage can for each of the punishments? Like, bong, no draft picks for five years. <laughs> bong, and just really hit it home. Thank you, Todd. Welcome. Uh, let me see. Uh, Joe in New Hampshire joins us. Hi, Joe. What's on your mind today? Hi, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on the show. This is my second time calling in, but I've been a long time listener. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a heart surgeon. I've called in once before talking about, uh, heart stuff and you guys were talking about the cockles of the heart. Yeah. And, and I know, I know it's a, a figurative way of talking, but I sometimes use it with my patients. I use both cockles and heart strings, mainly heart strings, when I go to fix a particular valve without getting into too much detail. But not ventricles. No, no, no. This is in, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So, so the, so the <laughs> I don't want to be too specific. The mitral valve, if I have to fix the mitral valve, I literally have to replace their heartstrings. And while I'm doing it, I am tugging on their heartstrings. Oh. And, and so I use that analogy with them. And then as far as the cockles, within the ventricle, specifically, well, both the left and the right, there are kind of, for better word, kind of like nooks and crannies in there, and I, I let them know that I've seen into the cockles of their heart. How long does it take to become a heart surgeon? Well, <clears throat> starting when? Um, four years of college. Like 18, so? Well, let's see, four years of college, four years in medical school, general surgery residency, takes anywhere at minimum five years to seven years, and then cardiac surgery training is two to three years. What's the, it takes a while. Yeah, but, you know, the, the technology of where we are now, when we, what was it, Dr. Christian Bernard, was he the first to uh, have the first heart surgery, a transplant? Does that sound right? Uh, I, I don't think of him as that, but go ahead. Okay, but where we are now, like the technology with heart surgery, a heart transplant. Um, it, it, it's, is it routine now that we know sort of what to do? So, so knowing what to do 
is routine. It better be routine if you're doing it. Um, As far as the technology and the advancement, heart transplant itself, there are advances in technology in heart transplant. The limitation in heart transplant, I don't do heart transplants anymore. In training, I did them, but where I work, we don't do them. Um, The limitation of heart transplant is the number of donors. There's only so many donors. Mm -hmm. So, So the hospitals that do the transplants should be doing a lot of them concentrating the experience in only those places. As far as the technology, as you know, with most types of surgery, less invasive invasive things are, are, are where most of the advancements are being made. However, you know, there are advancements within the surgical valves and bypasses and things like that. Uh, the Danettes, I think, have a question. Polly, are you the spokesperson for the Danettes? Yeah, we were wondering, does a heart doctor get the same treatment as every doctor? You know, if you if you see a podiatrist or an orthopedic and you're at like a, a party, they say, Doc, would you look at my foot or Doc, my shoulders bother me. Do people at parties or social events say, you know, I got a little boom, boom, boom in my heart. What does that mean? Do people say that to you? So your, your questions are so funny, Polly, when you ask me questions. Um, so what I get when I get asked questions is I typically don't get a lot of heart questions at, at parties and stuff. Usually what I get is, I have a problem with this. Can you get me in to see so-and-so <laughs> for this? <laughs> so they're always looking. People are usually looking for the inside line. I think the people who get hammered the most at a party are dermatologists yeah. because someone at the party like lifts their sleeve and says, hey, can you look at that for a second? And, and I think that's probably who gets Well, I would say cosmetic surgery. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and can you do a little, do you see that little crease right there? Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, anyway, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Doc. That's uh, Dr. Joe in, uh, in New Hampshire. Yeah, I would think a uh, cosmetic person would be pretty popular at a party. Yes. Yeah, what do you think of this? You yeah, no. get a little t- think of it. What do you think of my nose? Do you think I, what about my cheekbones? Does this bones? look red to you? <laughs> yes, Paul. You don't want to brush up with a proctologist at a party and ask him his opinion. That could be awkward. Yeah, I've been there. That's not a good time. Yeah. Then you got to de- dis- disrobe. Well, you definitely don't want to be standing around the uh, like hors d'oeuvres with him and be like, can you hand me that? Oh, never mind. Gloves. <laughs> Actually, I'll just yeah. grab that yeah. myself. Don't worry about it. You're good. Does he go in and have his scrubs? Like, I always like, you know, when they go in, they got their hands out like this, and then somebody has to help them with their gloves. I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, see. I knew this dude who was a uh, funeral director, uh, and he would, uh, <laughs> whenever he'd be at a wedding or something like that, and there would uh, be like, say, there's a certain age demographic that was maybe dancing or something like that, he would sort of like walk by sometimes and be like, putting a lot of th- kids through college today. <laughs> a lot, oh. lot of money on the dance floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> we we joked a couple of years ago we were around somebody who was having a seizure that we knew it was a friend of the family and we were actually at a funeral home at the time and uh we were picking out my mom's casket so we maintain that the funeral director was sizing up the person who was on the floor having the seizure like i know you guys got to get a casket for your mom uh what about a casket for this guy so we joked about it afterwards when everything was fine, but you know, I would imagine that like if, you, if somebody who sells watches will always look at your wrist. Somebody who is selling shoes looks at your shoes. I don't know if uh, a funeral director surveys the uh, crowd to go, yeah, Charlie looking a little long in the tooth. Going to be working with him soon. Yeah. <laughs> Offering like a two for one deal on, on the same day? What is he doing? <laughs> 
What type of doctor do you think you'd be? Let's say you had just a magic wand and you're going to pick the, what is it called, specialty? Mm. And you you got to go the same amount of school, but just what, what if they said you're joining doctor school? Do I don't do? think any of it sounds fun. But you had to pick one discipline. Orthopedics, then you could work with a sports team. A lot yeah, of people like that. Maybe, but then if you screw up, and then you're the guy who couldn't get that guy back. Because not every surgery is successful. I know that it feels like every athlete who's had sur- well, successful surgery. I had one surgery that wasn't successful. No names mentioned, but yeah. I had a, I, I had a knee, knee. I had eye surgery that wasn't successful. Yes, Todd. But not that you want to look close up at any part of the body and you still have to be a doctor and be professional, but how would you, I think Paulie's on to something, but how would you become, you would choose to be a proctologist or a gastroenterologist where you're constantly doing colonoscopies? Or a urologist. Yeah, like yeah. Why, why would you want to do that every day? Or, or is that what you ended up having to do because the other things you were pursuing, it wasn't working out, but you end up falling back into well, proctology they, or urology? I don't think they can make you become a proctologist. Or urologist. Like, like if, if there's 100 kids in, in medical school yeah. and you're 99th in grades, they say, yeah. you know what, proctology. That doesn't seem right, does it? Yeah, McLovin. I think you know your job is always safe because like everybody wants to be a heart doctor. Nobody wants to be the proctologist or urologist. I would think. I would probably be uh, a knee surgeon. I certainly yeah. know enough about it. And, and the technology that we have with that. I probably uh, do that. I think the worst one is the anesthesiologist because you lose people. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say proctologists and urologists do have a pretty good sense of humor. I think that's the one job. Like you have to have a sense of humor if you're a proctologist. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> one of my buddies from high school became an anesthesiologist and he said they have the highest uh, malpractice insurance rates yeah. because it's the most common area to have a mistake, I guess. That's why when people go, oh, you're having minor surgery, and I go, they're putting me under. If they put you under, there's a chance you don't come back. I mean, there is a chance. So it's not like where you go, oh, yeah, it's minor surgery. And I always say minor surgery is when it's on somebody else, not you. Yes, Heaton? You know, I've just always been fascinated by colons, and that's how I got into the <laughs> like, is that Maybe that's a thing. You know, I've just always had a real interest in, in colons, mm. and so that led me to proctology. Really? Fascinating. Yes, Tom. You also know it's kind of serious when they give you that clipboard. You're laying there with the IV in it, and you have to sign all kinds of stuff. Like, basically, if we screw up, you're not going to sue us. There's a pink form, a yellow form. We're going to take a break. Doug Flutie will join us uh, coming up. And 22 after the hour, this is The Dan Patrick Show. If you purchase supplies for a business, you know it's nearly impossible to find everything you need in one place. And that's why there's Zorro.com, where the number one goal is to make your life easier. Zorro.com, that's Z-O-R-O.com, is where you'll find everything you need for your businesses of any size and almost any industry. Zorro.com has tools and equipment, safety and office supplies, cleaning supplies, and more. Zorro has tons of stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, contracting, manufacturing, and more. You'll find brands you know and trust like Stanley, 3M, Milwaukee, Schneider, and Rubbermaid, just to name a few. Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the United States. You'll also enjoy fast, free shipping of orders of $50 or more. Even if you don't have a business to shop for, you can still find lots of great items at Zorro.com. Visit Zorro.com slash Dan to sign up for a Z-mail and get 15% off your first order. That's Zorro.com slash Dan. Sign up for the Z-mail and get 15% off your first order. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and can transport you to... 
a tropical paradise. Try them both, then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. I think we've upset some uh, anesthesiologists. We'll get to those phone calls coming up. Doug Flutie, NBC Sports lead analyst for Notre Dame football, won the Heisman 1984. Of course, uh, former NFL and CFL college football legend. And uh, they have relaunched Flutie Flakes. When these first came out, uh, they sold 2 million boxes when he was playing, I believe, with the Buffalo Bills. Proceeds benefit the Doug Flutie Foundation supporting autism, which afflicts his son Doug Jr., and uh, Doug will be in attendance for the Heisman Trophy presentation in New York City tomorrow night. Doug Flutie joining us on the program. Where is the Heisman right now, Doug? Where is my Heisman? My Heisman is in, uh, I have a little trophy room set up downstairs, and uh, it's sitting on a pedestal, kind of on display, but tucked away. We see it every now and then. We go to visit just to make sure it doesn't get left alone. But uh, it's, yeah, the, the school gets one, I get one, so I have one at home, and um, there's one at the school as well. Carson Palmer sent me his Heisman Trophy. He sent it to you. So you have it as a background backdrop for you from the show? Yeah. Yeah. He sent it to me. Does this mean this is setting a precedent? Is that mean we're all sending our trophies to you? Is this I'm, just, I'm just saying if you want to. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying Carson Palmer sent me his Heisman Trophy. Okay. Well, yeah, just, the standard's been set. I, I, now I know. Well, I hang my lifeguard medals off of my Heisman. So, you know, that's, you know, important stuff. So he's got to go over there with the Heisman and hang off the arm. We actually, I have a sports bar and grill up in the uh, Foxborough area at Plain Ridge Park Casino that, that I take the Heisman occasionally, put it up there for about six months at a time near the restaurant. But other than that, it's usually home. My wife, my wife uh, is very clingy and does not want it roaming too much. <laughs> if not Boston College, where, where were you going to go? Chances were I was an Ivy League kid. Um, I was talking Harvard and Brown, but then I also got an offer from UNH. I was thinking about University of New Hampshire because I really needed a scholarship. I, I, I was in a position where I needed a scholarship. And uh, Boston College came into the picture real late because they had a coaching change and all that, so I was very fortunate to get a Division One offer. Did you play at West Point your senior year? Uh Definitely did play at West Point. Because I think I was there the think, night you had four touchdown passes against them. Yeah, that was my freshman year at West Point. Um, it was like my second start. And uh, I had started the week before. Uh, or two weeks earlier, I started against Navy. We got beat. I played really well against a top-ranked pit team. And that was my third start at Army. It was my first you know, breakout performance big game. I'm also curious about this. I don't know if you face this, but we were just looking at, like there's lists there, like the least deserving Heisman winners. And I think we attach how you perform as a pro, whether or not you were worthy of the Heisman Trophy as a college player. Do you, do you find that, 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 that there, people have a hard time separating the two? Uh, not yeah. You know, my situation. I mean, not with you, but I'm just saying that, like Jason White yeah, at Oklahoma, yeah, Gino Toretta, like their names always come up. Is there are, right? It, it doesn't take away from what they did over those four years, what they did that senior year or whatever year it was they happened to win. You know, they led a team. So much is team oriented, and I say this even today. You know, we look at the greatest athletes 
and they're phenomenal. It might be a tailback, might be a defensive back. But if they're not in the mix for a national championship, more so today than even back then, they're not even considered. You've got to be almost undefeated, one loss at best, and you know, to get in that mix. And and you know, those guys that didn't have successful pro careers, they they led their teams, they did what was necessary under the circumstances and uh, you know, set themselves apart. So, uh, you know, I, I have no problem with that. You know, there's certain guys that, that didn't play at all. And, you know, it just, those things happen. Sometimes, you know, I, there is something to be said for the scheme. You know, certain quarterbacks get in the scheme, they're throwing all these wide receiver screens, and they get 10,000 yards passing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there, there are some parts of it that, that are skewed. But for the most part, you're picking guys that, have had tremendous years and led their teams to, whether it's a national championship or not, in the mix. He's uh, Doug Flutie won the Heisman Trophy in 1984. Joining us on behalf of Flutie Flakes, a cereal that sold over 2 million boxes uh, when he was playing. Who came up with that idea, Flutie Flakes? Uh, it was an endorsement opportunity for, for me with PLB Sports. And um, they, had done, they had done like a Mario Lemieux peanut butter or something and a salsa <laughs> with it. And the most units they'd sold of anything was like 200,000. And that was kind of the benchmark that, that we were hoping to get. And all of a sudden it, it, it was like the perfect storm. It was just an endorsement thing I had. And then when I got to Buffalo, I started the foundation. So we figured, Oh, we'll put the proceeds towards the foundation. And it just took off. And I just happened to, I started playing at the time. It was a perfect storm. It just really was, and uh, it exploded. And, of course, Chris Berman eating them on Monday Night Football kind of helped. <laughs> I'm also curious what you think. It, it, like, if you were at Boston College and you were winning the Heisman Trophy this year, how, do you th- how different would it be you know, how teams would look at you as a professional quarterback? Yeah, it's night and day now uh, with all the spread offenses and the undersized quarterbacks that are having success. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very jealous of the game today. A lot of the stuff that's going on right now in the NFL is stuff we did in Canada for those eight years I was up in Canada. Complete spread offenses, quarterback design runs, quarterback zone read type stuff with yeah. run pass options off. Of, we were doing all that stuff in the 90s up in Canada. And uh, it, uh, I, I get a little jealous of that. But no doubt. What were you, 11th round draft pick? I was an 11th round draft pick because I'd already signed. I, I was projected anywhere from a first to a fourth. Oh. And uh, I signed with the New Jersey Generals, Donald Trump, and uh, I was under contract for six years. So just towards the end of the draft, as it was coming around, the Rams picked up my rights. But I was still under contract for another four or five years in, in the USFL. Uh, when the USFL folded, then the Rams uh, had already drafted Jim Everett the next year, traded my rights over to Chicago, and I went to Chicago. I think I was at your introductory press conference at Trump Tower. Oh, everybody was. But, didn't that it, was but Doug, didn't it have the waterfall behind, and then it was hard to pick up the, what you were saying on the microphone because the, I, the waterfall was, was really loud in Trump Tower. Yeah, I, I just remember, I don't you know how the how the audio was in there, but I remember the waterfall behind me. It was just an atrium yeah. with levels of reporters and cameras, and it was a zoo. And, you know, he, they did it in a big way. And Did you get um, paid on time in the USFL? I, di- I did. Um, I, I got paid on time. I'll I tell you what, that's the one thing I'll say about Trump when he was an owner. We were run like an NFL franchise. 
There's no doubt about it. We got paid. We had good facilities. We were at the Meadowlands. We had film, all that. I got paid. Now, there was a, a guaranteed portion of it that when the league folded that he negotiated down to, to free me, you know, to let me let me go play in the NFL. So, you know, there was a there was, I got all the money that was coming to me, even though some was negotiated down because I wanted to go play in the NFL. And then you got a chance to get yelled at by Mike Ditka. Oh yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, <laughs> I was in. The, I was there for two. McMahon had a shoulder surgery and was struggling, and Ditka didn't really believe in the quarterbacks he had, so he brought me in at the end of the year, and I was like on a fast. I was there for ten days, and I was starting a game, and uh, it was like <laughs> plays plays on a wristband. You know the hardest part. The hardest part was that he had the old Dallas system and evens were left and odds were, uh, yeah, odds to the right and evens left, which is opposite of every system that you'd ever, <laughs> just calling a running play made me stop and hesitate and think. It was, yeah, that was torture. Oh, God. He just, I don't know what it was. He, he just, he, did Ditka ever like any of his quarterbacks? You know the only the only guy that could play for him was Jim McMahon because he'd give it right back. <laughs> no, you had to be that kind of mentality. And and you know, and Dick liked me. We got along great, but on game day he was just you know really a little bit hot headed and wanted it got you got frustrated and yelling. And uh, you know as a quarterback, I always loved the coach to wrap his arm around you, give you confidence, go out, take some risk, and turn it loose. So under a guy like Dick. Uh, all of a sudden, you're paranoid to make a mistake. You're being careful with the football and all that. So a guy like Jim McMahon, who just you know turn it, give it right back to him, <laughs> Jim just went out and balled, and he played. And and he, you had to have that kind of personality to be successful for him. Uh, Joe Burrow is certainly an interesting uh, quarterback from the standpoint of he's he kind of had an overnight success, even though it's not really overnight success. We had Rick Neuheisel on a couple of weeks ago, and he said he's he's a more athletic Tom Brady. And at the time, I went, "Whoa, slow the praise there." But can you can you see that, or is that being unfair to Joe Burrow and Tom Brady? As much as I love Tom Brady, yes, Joe's more athletic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but um, you know he'll have a long way to go to get to where Tom is. But he's got those kind of skills; he really does. And I don't know if we're all just getting so carried away because we've never seen this at LSU. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like you, you know, I, I worry about that because I, I mean, I, I think the world of him. I think he's a phenomenal quarterback. He's had an unbelievable year. Everything, you know, making making plays, carrying the team, all that stuff. But then it gets magnified because we're used to seeing them go up against Alabama and play a nine to six game. This year it was fifty something to forty something, and and they're scoring points every week and slinging it around the field, and so that's the you know. It's just a different element that we've never seen out of LSU, so it gets magnified how great he has been. And Lamar Jackson, I think, you know, there's a lot of teams that could have drafted him, and then Baltimore almost missed out on drafting him in the first round and getting that, you know, on that rookie five-year deal here. So what what is it about Lamar Jackson that everybody was missing out on? You know, it's the fear of the guy that's just run the spread stuff and in college. Uh, you've always had this impression that an NFL quarterback, and you do, you have to know your pass protections. You have to be able to read the entire field. You go back in in my day, you you had a universal route, and you read coverage, and that dictated where you're going with the ball, depending on coverage, and then your progression started one, two, three in that area. 
now they are all used to being in the right play for the right coverage because of double cadence and dummy cadence stuff and throwing these wide receiver screens and then the quarterback run stuff. It's not as much of that full field read. And in spread offenses, it, the, the guys weren't always carrying over to the NFL and, and having success. And there, there's a little bit of a fear factor there. Uh, you know, can he stand there and throw? He, the, the difference is Lamar is a phenomenal athlete, but he can throw the ball down the field. He can make the one-on-one throws. And you've got to be able to, you've got to, be able to win both ways. You've got to be able to win from the pocket because eventually teams are going to figure out how to take the other stuff away and make you beat them with the things that you don't do well. And so there, therein lies the fear. You know, is he going to be able to beat you from the pocket? Hey, Doug, have a good weekend there, and congrats on uh, the uh, Flutie Flakes Part 2 here, uh, benefiting the Doug Flutie Foundation, supporting autism, which afflicts his son uh, Doug Jr., of course, many others, and uh, he'll be at the Heisman Trophy ceremony tomorrow night. Thank you, Doug. Great to talk to you again. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank you so much. All right. We'll take a break. Back after this with your phone calls on The Dan Patrick Show. Everybody's got a to-do list. I get one from my wife. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk, figure out something to get out of the house so I can relax. Here's an idea. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. The good thing, you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Do you like extra money in your pocket? Do you like not having to drive somewhere to pick something up? This is the way to do it. It just may be the most rewarding thing on your to-do list today. That's geico.com. Hey, listeners, just wanted to take a minute to thank all our great sponsors and all of you great listeners for supporting this podcast. We certainly couldn't do it without either of you. And I wanted to remind you that you can support our sponsors by going to our show page at podcastone.com, clicking on the support this podcast button, and there you will see all our wonderful sponsors that help make this show possible. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, and of course, supporting. And now back to the show. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and can transport you to a tropical paradise. Try them both, then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. My boy Luca had a nice night last night. 40, let's see, another 40-point game. So his fourth career 40-point game last night. All this season, only LeBron James has had more such games before turning 21. Luca turns 21, wink, wink, according to McLovin. <laughs> Every time I does say, he look? Does he look 20 to you? No, Have he you does not. Seen a no, he, like no he does not. Uh, he turns 21 on February 28th. But uh, right now, uh, most career 40-point games before turning 21, NBA all-time. LeBron had eight of those before he turned 21. And there's been discussion, like, or at least the question, you know, who was better at the age of 20, Luka or LeBron? You know, stat-wise, it feels like it's Luka, I don't know. You, it, it gets into dangerous territory there with LeBron and, and Luka. The, the game is a lot different now. I think Luka comes in as a more polished player just because it feels like his shot is so much better than LeBron's. 
But LeBron was a force. Uh, he was. He would take over games as well. Um, let's just say they're both great. Magic Johnson was great at age 20. Magic won a title, I believe, at age 20. So he wasn't statistically as dominant, although he was dominant in that final game against the 76ers. But um, that'd be interesting. You could have Magic at 20, LeBron at 20, or Luka at 20. Knowing what you know now. Well, but we don't know what Luka's going to turn into. LeBron might... If the Lakers win this year, I, I think there's a, a, a stronger chance the argument changes with LeBron. He's the greatest player of all time because he will have won titles with three different teams. And I think statistically he's going to be up there. The number of MVPs, uh, postseason appearances, finals appearances, you know, a, a, better, a better career than Michael Jordan. Maybe not better player, but I think better career and might be recognized as the greatest of all time. Yeah, Paul. LeBron at age 20 averaged 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists. He was playing 42 minutes a game, led the NBA. Luka Doncic is doing it this year, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists in 33 minutes a game. But isn't LeBron, weren't those first numbers at at age 20, aren't those what his career average is? Yeah, right about, because he averages, they're almost exactly, because he's 27.2, yeah. 7.4, 7.2 was age 20. 27.1, 7.4, 7.3 <laughs> are his career averages. So his career average is what he averaged when he was 20 years of age. Right, but he is having a career year in assists this year, leading yeah. the league at 11. Yeah, he's your MVP. Uh, let me see, Barry in New York joins us. Hi, Barry. What's on your mind today? Good morning, Good morning fellas. Five nine one eighty five. Thank you. You guys were talking about proctologists and urologists. On Wednesday, I went to see my urologist. He walks in, and he looks exactly like Dan Lebitard. It was quite disconcerting. <laughs> and if, uh, if uh, the nurse was going to look like Poppy, I was going to just jump off the table and run out of the room. All right. Well, thank you, Barry. If the doctor looked like Stu Gotts, then you were really in trouble there. Uh, Dr. Cowboy in New Jersey joins us. Hi, Doc. Hi, Dan. Hi, Danette. What's on your mind, Doc? Um, well, I'm an anesthesiologist, and uh, after hearing the comments I heard before, I just want to call in and clear up a couple uh, misconceptions about my practice. Okay. Um, first of all, I've been in practice for 23 years, and very much like McLovin, I've trained at an Ivy League institution. Um, and the actual incidents for things going wrong in anesthesia and that includes death and catastrophic things to, to chip tooth, is one in about six to 7,000, depending on what study you look at. And secondly, we're one of the few specialties where the malpractice is actually going down um, because better people are going into it, better drugs, and better technology. So, you know, I know that misconception is out there, so I figured, you know, I'm a big fan, been listening for years, and I'm okay. looking for an excuse to call in. No, no, I, and I appreciate that, Doc. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Yes, McLovin. Definitely sounds like one of the lower Ivies, like a Cornell or Columbia. Uh, Doc, where did you go to school? Mine has four letters in it, McLovin. How many letters <laughs> does yours have? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Yaleys. Well, I could have gone to Penn. Oh, yeah. Was it Penn? No, it was Yale. Uh, oh. Thank you, Doc. I got to give him credit for not leading. He, he just said Ivy League. Because usually Harvard, Yale people mention Harvard or Yale specifically. Paulie, were you around when Terry Bowden told that joke 
about Yale. Yale, yeah, with the accent. Yes, because he he met somebody. I forget how the joke goes, but the guy goes, "Where are you from?" And he goes, "Yale." Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Terry Bowden telling us that. Where are you from? Yale. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, Paul. I have the stats. What do you think is the most sued surgical specialty? By so the way, malpractice. Yeah, malpractice uh, claims with payment, basically claims. It doesn't matter if it's paid off or not. Number of claims I'm by... I'm going to say cosmetic surgery. Uh, that's up there. That's fifth. Oh. Um, I was going to say plastic surgery, too. Anesthesiology yeah. is right in the middle, right down the middle. What's number one? Number one is neurosurgery, brain surgery. Mm. Then there's heart surgery, mm. orthopedic surgery, and then plastic surgery. Mm. And obstetrics and gynecology are all in that high mark. I think if I like to go to school and study, cosmetic surgery would have been pretty good. Because you could meet a lot of a lot of women there. Because then you could walk or be in a hairdresser. Like, because you know, then you could always say, or hair, you know, somebody who cuts women's hair, you'd be like, oh, you know what I'm thinking here? And then the women would be like, really? Do you see that? It's a stylist, Dan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I go to Pro Cuts. Yeah. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Supercuts? Supercuts. Yeah. I go to Supercuts. Yeah, big I, shout out. Yeah, it is really big. Shout out. Uh, final hour coming About up. Thirty-seven dollars worth of haircuts right there. Yeah, we'll check in with the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Final hour, Traeger Meat Friday. Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts, and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's a network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content, you own your subscribers, no tricky stuff there. And you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast. And if your show grows, you could even be invited to join Podcast One's all-star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course, me, Jordan Harbinger. I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and can transport you to a tropical paradise. Try them both, then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details.